Star Wars 7x7 episode 2115. Today it's a Clone Wars briefing. We're looking at old friends not forgotten. This is the start of the Siege of Mandalore story arc. It is episode 9 from season 7. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So let's dive in. This is a full spoiler briefing, so if you haven't seen it, you know, etc, 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 you know how this works. Let's dig in. So we start off with a battle on Yurbana just to give us an orientation, if you will, to the dynamic between Anakin and Obi-Wan and to, you know, what's happening in the Clone Wars, all that sort of good fun stuff. Basically, what this is is almost a reset, if you will, of what the Clone Wars is like, what the battles are like, getting us into the action between the Jedi and the clones and the battle droids and all that stuff because we haven't had that for the last four episodes, right? We've had the more intimate storytelling, if you will, between Ahsoka and her walkabout and trying to survive on the underworld and getting involved with the Martez sisters and the Pike. So now we are being reoriented back into the larger battle. And it was fun to see R2-D2 hanging off the side of a bridge secretly, which looked very much like the Golden Gate Bridge, oddly enough. And Rex and all the other clone troopers underneath with their jetpacks waiting to attack. This was a good, fun sequence and ultimately not a sequence that really mattered to the whole story arc, basically. But again, it sets us up and that's perfectly fine. But we get the communication from Admiral Yularen about something coming through on the subspace frequency Fulcrum, which is possibly from Saw Gerrera, or at least that was the thinking in theory. And it's kind of funny that this is what the communication frequency is named because obviously Fulcrum gets used for rebel agents later on in the battle against the Empire. I thought that was kind of a neat little Easter eggy thing to drop in. It turns out that this communication on the Fulcrum subspace frequency is coming from Ahsoka. And naturally this is shocking for Obi-Wan and Anakin, but they have to get over it really quick because Ahsoka is saying there is an opportunity to capture Maul. And this theme of, you know, no time to get personal with stuff right now continues when Ahsoka and her Mandalorian friends arrive on Yalaren's cruiser. And the reuniting of Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and Anakin is really cut short because she says, you know, hey, there's no time. We got to get down to business. And so they get down to business and talk about the fact that Maul has been sighted and he's you know, definitely on Mandalore in this city as of two days ago and we have an opportunity to catch him, but there are complications that will happen as a result, particularly a treaty that goes back a hundred years that would be violated if the Republic was going to help Mandalore in this regard, but according to Bo-Katan, everybody wins because the Republic gets Maul and she gets control of Mandalore, so it's all good. Obi-Wan, however, is not going to be swayed so easily and says he's going to have to take it to the Jedi Council. Bo-Katan tries to emotionally manipulate him on this point and brings up the Duchess Satine to no avail, unfortunately, for her. 
<laughs> and Obi-Wan says, yeah, I can't let my personal feelings get involved. It's going to be the council. To which Bo-Katan gives an aside to Ahsoka saying, I told you this was a waste of time. And everybody leaves giving Anakin and Ahsoka a couple of moments alone. And from there, I'm going to skip a bit because honestly, I think we need to have a longer conversation about this. But what ultimately happens is that we don't really even get a clear signal from Obi-Wan that the Jedi Council has approved this situation. We suddenly get an alert saying that General Grievous has attacked the Capitol, and this does create some additional tension between Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and brings up the whole issue of how the Jedi seem to have forgotten what their mission is, and perhaps Obi-Wan is playing politics and only concerned with the Chancellor, not concerned with the people of Coruscant themselves, but Anakin tries to play peacemaker for once, which is rather remarkable, and say, all right, I'll split the 501st and give command to Ahsoka, and there's arguments back and forth, oh, well, let's promote Rex to commander and let Ahsoka be an advisor. Obi-Wan agrees to it, but again, we still didn't actually hear him say, yeah, the Jedi Council said it was okay to you know, prove this incursion into Mandalore and to drag the Republic into the war and break this treaty that he talked about saying that it had been in place for 100 years. So that little bit of detail hasn't been addressed exactly. But like a lot of Star Wars stories where everything is just so exciting and the plot is like a freight train that's running and hopefully it's running fast enough that it'll just jump over the plot holes like that, we go, we go on the attack. We have an incursion to Mandalore. Prime Minister Almuk is there and Bo-Katan says, hey, we know you're Maul's puppet and we're coming for him. That also struck me as a little bit odd too because if the whole goal was to capture Maul, then why would you try and specifically say, hey, we know that you're Maul's puppet and we're coming for him? <sighs> yeah, but that's, you know, the Mandalorian side of things. I guess that's just, you know, <laughs> the way it's gonna happen and as we talked about in previous episodes about the Hope episodes, actually, you know, characters aren't necessarily going to behave the way that you would ideally want them to behave. They are going to behave the way that they are as characters, as you flesh them out as particular people. And so not everything is going to go perfectly and you kind of have to live <laughs> with that to some degree. Anyway, the action is fantastic and I suppose I haven't really said much of that so far. The action on your bonnet at the beginning is fantastic. The action on Mandalore to, you know, secure the docks and get ready to find Maul. All of that is great when Ahsoka says to Rex that she'll race you to the surface or she'll race him to the surface and starts jumping out onto the different uh, clone trooper um, gunships and jumping onto one of the gauntlet style uh, ships from Mandalore and all that stuff. It is so well done. And in fact, just cinematically, the episode is done so well. It is actually a step above what we saw in the first two story arcs. It really is like they were building up to this particular one in the terms of how they wanted to present it. And in fact, the way they presented it even from the very start is so different. Like they start off with the title screen saying a Lucasfilm limited production, which they've never done with the Clone Wars before. And then they shoot out the Clone Wars logo as though it's the Star Wars logo, like a movie. And instead of giving us a moral, a fortune cookie, they kick right into the narrator's summation that 
opens up a general episode. They also give us a little thing that says part one, old friends not forgotten, giving us at least, you know, the title, which we would have gotten in a crawl, for example. So it's really kind of fascinating how they decided to mix the presentation of the beginning of this episode up. And the episode ends, as you would probably expect it to, on a cliffhanger. Bo-Katan has gotten to Prime Minister Almec and has him at her mercy. But as a result, she finds out that this is all a trap. This is the second trap. Although the Republic was setting the trap the first time. This time, it turns out Maul was setting the trap. But the wrong person was coming to spring the trap. Maul was hoping to set this trap for Kenobi. Turns out Ahsoka was there and she has led clone troopers into a trap. Maul shows up and says, why are you here? And that's pretty much where we leave this episode. But here's the thing I wanted to talk with you about that I'm just having some difficulty with. And <laughs> if you want to help me with this, then by all means do. But I'm thinking back to Celebration Europe in 2016 where they had the Ahsoka's Untold Tales panel and Dave Filoni told the story of the Siege of Mandalore and of this particular scene that we see in this episode where when Ahsoka arrives, Rex and all these other clone troopers have modified their clone trooper helmets so it looks like Ahsoka's face, right? Her Togruta, I'm sorry, I don't know the particular exact word for it, but just it looks like her face essentially on their helmets. And it was an extremely emotional moment during the panel because uh, Ashley Eckstein, who does the voice of Ahsoka Tano in Clone Wars and Rebels, she did not know this. And so it was revealed to her on stage and she actually got emotional. She started tearing up when this information was revealed. So we know this is a really powerful moment. It's supposed to be a very powerful moment, but it feels to me like it hasn't been earned in this episode. And I will explain why. Because part of this has to do with things that we've talked about previously about how the choice of story arcs in this final season seems to be interesting, <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it. We have this Ahsoka walkabout arc that happened as the second story arc, but when it happens, it actually picks up right from where season five left off. So she has just left the Jedi Order and gone to the underworld. This is the way it's presented to us. And so she pretty quickly meets the Martez sisters and pretty quickly, so it appears based on the timeline as it's presented to us in this second story arc, has this adventure with the Martez sisters where she gets involved with the Pikes and whatnot, and then gets wrapped up at the very end of the story arc with Bo-Katan and the possibility of doing something about Maul. And so when Ahsoka says, hello master, it's been a while, in that transmission on the fulcrum subspace frequency, right? Has it really been a while? <laughs> no, I don't feel like it's really been a while. You know, that's not the way it's been presented to us. It feels like at best it's been a week or two, maybe. I mean, how long were the Martez sisters and Ahsoka in the custody of the Pikes and all that stuff going on? It just doesn't feel like it's really been a while. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of water under the bridge. And related to that, 
Here's what you have to believe in order to arrive at the scene where the doors open and Ahsoka sees all these clone troopers with their repainted helmets. You have to believe that Anakin saw Ahsoka on this hologram and thought to himself, I haven't seen Ahsoka in a week or two. This is amazing. She's actually about to come back and visit us. And I'll go tell Rex. And Rex is going to say, oh, she hasn't been here in a week or two. I'll go tell all the guys and let's all repaint our helmets. There's that to a start, but then there's the issue of the fact that she's arriving with Mandalorians, and as Obi-Wan said, to do anything with these Mandalorians would be violating a treaty that's been in place for a hundred years, so why is there any reason to believe that they're going to do anything with Ahsoka and the Mandalorians about this particular situation? There's so much that hasn't been dealt with, and there's so little water under the bridge that it feels to me, and again, please tell me if I'm just crazy on this, but it just feels to me like the scene where Ahsoka arrives and all these clone troopers have their helmets painted in her honor, it just doesn't feel like it's earned the way that it's presented to us. And again, maybe I'm also coming at this with the emotional baggage from Celebration where I was also emotionally affected by the way that Dave Filoni told the story of the Siege of Mandalore, or at least told the story of this particular reveal about the Siege of Mandalore on stage, and you know, the entire room was moved as a result. And on top of everything else, this scene has been shown in teasers and trailers already, so it's something that we've already seen. I just feel like this moment had the potential to have such a greater emotional impact and it just doesn't feel like it hit that for me and I'm just I'm a little sad I'm a little sad and again please tell me if I'm mistaken please do on the positive side though I will say that I did not expect the Siege of Mandalore story arc to put Ahsoka and Maul in the same room this early, to be honest with you. And I did not expect the fact that Obi-Wan and Anakin would be leaving to deal with General Grievous and have this be the connection to Revenge of the Sith happen so quickly in the story arc. And so in that sense, it leaves these last three episodes wide open in terms of what could possibly happen. And that is very exciting to me. The fact that we have no idea what's coming now, I kind of like that a lot because you know, we've talked a lot about what to expect from these episodes and we've kind of known a lot about it because of these Clone War legacy things and these panels at Star Wars celebrations and all that stuff. And so... I do like the fact that we are getting into an unknown situation as a result. And I think that's where I'm going to leave things here with this episode. This is the end of the Clone Wars briefing on Old Friends Not Forgotten, episode 9 from season 7 of the Clone Wars, and that's going to do it for this episode of the show as well. Thank you so much for joining me for it, as always. And may the curve be flattening for you wherever in the world you may be. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other related Star Wars items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2019 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.